Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer coming to you from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And it's a little bit chilly today, 56 degrees. And there was, um, I think, 49 this morning. It was supposed to be sunny. We had the sun out for about eh, about two hours. And it's um, gotten cloudy and a little bit of a mist, a little bit of a drizzle falling, not much, not even enough to put windshield wipers on. But that is that. And we had some rain here yesterday. We had 0.68 inches yesterday at about the course of 12 hours. So that was nice for my cover crop. And I am very, very blessed to see that my cover crop is doing beautifully. My triticale, crimson clover, and tillage radish. Hopefully, God willing, when I get done with the show today, I'm going to go out and walk the fields so that I could really see what the cover crop is like and how it's growing, not just from a distance, from standing on the perimeter of the field. And to me, that's uh, like looking underneath the hood, right? You got to get out there and look how things are growing and what's happening. To be a good farmer and to be a good machinery person, you got to study things and look underneath the hood. So that is that. And hopefully, God willing, everything is going well for you in your operation, in your personal life, and in your farm or ranch operation. So uh, I really wish you all all the best and God's blessings upon it as we move forward, right? Move forward with faith. That's what it, that's the scriptures say that the farmer doesn't put his hand to the plow and look backwards, right? You look forwards. And that's what we do in agriculture. But I want to, uh, I want to thank. I want to have a shout out that I want to thank uh, a gentleman for giving me another pin in my map. And I'm probably going to butcher your name, sir, and butcher the name of your town. So I ask for your forgiveness up front. So guilty with an explanation, right? So his first name is John, and his last name I'm going to pronounce it. Tyznik, T-Y-Z-N-I-K, Tyznik, and he sounds like it's a Slovak or Ukrainian or something type of name, which actually that's um, from Ukrainian heritage, second generation American, pure American baby, red, white, and blue, but my grandparents were all from Ukraine, and T's, and Mr. Tyznik, and it's spelled T-Y-Z-N-I-K, and he farms over in Holyoke, H-O-L-Y-O-K-E, Colorado, which is in Northeast Colorado. So I want to thank you so much for the pin in the map, and I also want to welcome you aboard, John, to the Hot Rod Farmer family, because he's new to the podcast, and he's and he's uh, listening and working his way through the archives, and hopefully he starts to explore some of the website with the technical articles. And he also wrote me a, uh, you wrote me a very nice letter, which I will not share with the audience, but I want to thank you so much for your kind words and for your blessings upon this work that I'm doing here, which I truly, honestly, sincerely believe is a mission for me. That's how I look at it. I look at it as a mission that the good Lord has put me here and gave given me the blessing of an education with machinery for not to make drag race cars faster, which I used to do and build motors, but to actually educate those that feed and feed the world. So the American farmer and rancher. So I want to thank you for your kind words, John, and welcome aboard again, once again to the family. And he also wrote me a note and he has some questions. He has a 2012 F350 with a 6.7 liter diesel. And we've opened up a little dialogue there and we are going to, uh, that's going to be our special, del- our special delivery letter today. But uh, let me see what else I want to tell you. And oh, this is, this is, this has nothing to do with the show today, but just like an FYI type of deal and to keep you in the loop. 
I, I, we have to tell you the truth. We haven't had the television on in our house for. We have Dish TV, and the reason we have Dish TV is because they get the uh, they get the RFD network on it. And for seven years or six years, I don't remember six. I think six, seven seasons or six years. I don't remember. I was on the successful farming TV show as the engine man and then when COVID hit they whatever everything everything kind of fell apart and to be quite honest with you I think they have a little bit of animus that I started my own thing here with and the success that it's have that I'm that the good lord is blessing me with not me but the good lord is blessing me with with the podcast and the radio show so and they canceled the season for last year so anyway so it kind of like we drifted apart but anyway, so we have Dish, because over here in New Jersey, Dish was the only one that did not have, um, that had the, uh, had the RFD network on it. So, uh, <clears throat> geez, I, I, I went off on such a tangent, I forgot what I was, <laughs> what I was going to talk about anyway. So, uh, all right, forget about that. So, um, I don't know where, where, I don't even know where I was going with my own story, which is kind of bad, right? But, um well, anyway, yes, that's what I'm, that's I know where I'm going now. So we don't really, like I said, we haven't had the television on for God knows for how long, and I think we had it on last fall. I don't even know if it still works. To be quite honest with you, but it should. But anyway, so what happens is that I'm not a I'm not an internet guy. I'm not a YouTube guy. I'm not going to say I never watch anything on YouTube, and and there's some people we follow on YouTube that are. Um, that are alternative media uh news people so let's put it that way and and we and uh we we watch uh dr charles stanley on youtube on and his i would think he's a great pastor and dr michael yusuf but anyway so we do watch some stuff on youtube but i'm not a youtube junkie by no means but anyway so once in a while i i, I should uh, i look at some drag racing stuff and there's this one channel which I won't I won't mention for any for no particular reason because uh, uh, not not of any disrespect but you know you know you never know who's listening to this stuff when you do a show like this and or do a TV show or write something in a magazine so I just figured you know whatever out of respect to them but anyway so they they got a pretty dynamic channel they're drag racers and the point that i'm getting at is that they were they were they have a 50 foot enclosed trailer and they were towing it with an old chevy or gmc dually with a 454 gas engine in it and they decided to upgrade to a um a newer truck so i think it was the truck was a 94 or a 96 or something 300 something thousand miles on it and it was doing a deal but i guess they had some issues or whatever getting tired and they're traveling a lot so anyway so they did a, a, a youtube video and they were going to test drive a truck and they were going to look at this and this is the core of why i'm telling you this is they were looking to look at it at a 2000 or 2001 that's uh, between a 2000 2002 maybe with three two or something like that early 2000s all right i didn't pay attention so you know the 2022s are out so this truck is 17, 18 years old. All right, it doesn't seem like that 18 years ago. But anyway, they go look. So they're going to go look at this truck, and they're videoing this. These people make these vlogs of vlogs over everything, and God bless them. I mean, I don't do it. I wouldn't know how to do it. I have nothing against it, but I really, you know, could care less what somebody had for lunch. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. So they go to look at this truck and they say, oh, we're going to look at this truck and we're going to use it to tow the 50-foot trailer all around the country. It was a diesel Ford, 
it looked very nice when they took a picture, you know, when they videoed it. And, uh, but it has 60,000 miles on it. And I'm saying to myself, I'm listening to this, that you're going to buy a 20 year old truck, arguably speaking, a 20 year old truck, 18 year old truck with 60,000 miles on it. And the reason why I'm telling you, and you're going to try to tow, tow a 50 foot race car trailer around the country with it. The thing that the, you know, the take home message here to my audience is that, you know, things age, machinery ages, ages two ways. They age with the calendar and they age with mileage. And to tell you the truth, not to tell you the truth, to, 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 to fly in conventional wisdom, I'd rather have a vehicle, a, a tractor, a truck, a car, a motorcycle, whatever it is, that's aged with miles or hours, right? A piece of farm equipment doesn't register miles, hours 10 times than, 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 than the calendar. The calendar, meaning as years go by, the calendar ages stuff in a way that's very, very hard for you to, even as an engineer, to, to, to give a, a legitimate explanation of what's happening. But usually when you were to take a truck like that or a car or anything that you figure if it has if it's almost 20 years old we'll say 20 years old give or take and there's 60,000 miles that's 3,000 miles a year so let's say it's 15 years old it's got 4,000 miles a year right four times 15 is 60 that that means that truck sat around you don't know what kind of those 4,000 miles was that used was that 4,000 highway miles or was that 4,000 miles of going a half a mile a day or a mile a day it probably has a zillion cold starts and even if it didn't even if it was just started once a year then drove for a thousand miles and shut off and 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 came back a thousand miles is that when you put something into service that has had such little i'm going to use the word exercise and you'll keep this in the back of your mind so, so so little exercise over the years historically when you put that into service you are greeted with a rash of failures things the water pump starts to leak the rear main starts to leak this goes that fails and even something you would figure well, wouldn't even really have any impact on it if we're sitting there doing nothing like the alternator goes the starter goes and because moisture wicks into these things they they're sitting uh they they get they get humidity in them they start to deteriorate that way but i said to myself you know these people are looking to buy this truck and they're fixated on the sixty thousand miles on it well i'd rather have the old chevy with 350,000 miles on it that ran every that was run every day instead of that so just keep that in the back just keep that in the back in the back of your mind is that when you're looking at equipment and whether it's a vehicle or piece of farm equipment is that don't be lured into the siren song if you remember the old the old fable with the siren the siren the siren if you don't know if, you, if you're too young to remember that the siren was like a mermaid and she would she would uh, call the sailors sailors to the rocks and they would crash but if you the siren song of low hours and low miles and when you have to mix it into an equation to an algorithm almost with time and i'm not saying to not be afraid of it and not buy it but the fact of the matter is again they ended up not buying that truck because it had plug fuel filters and what have you and they ended up buying 
on the way home finding a 2017 ram with a diesel well yeah to me you went you went to go look at a 2000 and then you end come home with a truck 17 years newer and the thing is that and you're putting them in the same category that makes no sense but i and like i said no disrespect to the people i've watched their videos they seem like nice people i don't know them from a hole in the wall all right but the fact of the matter is is that you know you go look at a 2000 you come home with a 2017 and and to me it shows a disconnect and i see that so many times with people they buy the little old lady's car they buy all this tractor this tractor only has 500 hours on it. it's 30 years old well that tractor with 500 hours 30 years old is probably visually beautiful i'm not going to deny that but as long as you know what you're getting into and you put that into service and things start to leak and things things start to fail and then you go through this cycle where you replace these things and you keep like yeah believe it it's got sixty thousand miles in the water pump but i can't believe it must be a piece of junk this ford ford's a junk i can't believe it this this john deere has 300 hours on it's 30 years old the damn the damn uh, hydraulic pump one well that's from sitting so just keep that in mind always balance out the miles and the calendar when you balance out the miles in the calendar do some simple math find out about the piece of equipment well how often where was it stored it could have been stored inside but still moisture and humidity wicks into things and seals dry out hoses dry out i mean uh you know you have to realize that when an engine sits i don't care what it's on over time all the oil all the oil runs off the runs off this runs off the, the the connecting rods the crankshaft the valve train and then in that engine the breathe there's a breather there's an air filter there's a, I mean the transmission right all the oil drips down off the off the planetary in a transmission and there's a vent on a transmission over time like that the humidity wicks in it doesn't wick in like a garden hose but it wicks in and it starts to corrode things and rust things and it's, it's just really it's not it's it's not the utopia that people think that it is so um, so case closed but anyway <clears throat> what are we going to talk about today well that i got that off my chest but i see that because and the reason why i'm bringing it up i said case closed is because a lot of people look to buy pre-owned equipment which i understand which i respect which i think is a smart decision in a lot and especially now with a shortage of equipment a neighbor a neighbor down the road just they bought a new car well they didn't buy new they bought they bought a new used car i mean it looks beautiful when they stop by the farm to show it to me it's a 2015 bmw uh three series um some three series i said i don't know if it's a 330 i don't know which one it is it's a three series then i mean it looks beautiful i mean uh, from what i could see and and you know and again it's five years old it's got fifteen thousand. it's got sixty thousand miles on it which is fine for five years all right so five years fifteen thousand miles all right so you figure it had about twelve thousand miles a year which is all right but you know eh, you're gonna look at the car but it's probably gonna need brakes now it's probably gonna need tires the, the drive belt accessory belt we'll call because you don't call it a fan belt anymore is is got you know six years on it i mean the hoses have six years on it so really it's not it's it's as long as you know it getting into it that's 100 percent fine and, and as long as the price you pay for it reflects that i'm probably gonna have to put two thousand dollars into this in the next couple of months if i start to drive it every day or start to use it on the farm then that's fine that's cool nothing wrong with that but you have to have the tolerance for understanding that and if you don't have the tolerance to understand that then you're going to be very disgruntled and very disappointed with your purchase so keep that in mind all righty what are we going to talk about today 
other than buying low mileage, low hours used equipment. Well, if I were to give, if I were to give this show, this episode, this week, a title, I would call it the lost art of cold starting an engine. And for many years, I did work with Hemmings Muscle Machines magazine, and I still do. I do a column in there called Ask Ray, which is a write-in column, which is basically akin to a magazine version of special delivery here. But I did that over the years in many different magazines. But anyway, and I for many years, I wrote the technical articles every month in Hemmings Muscle Machines and in Hemmings Classic Card, and they had budget cuts and, and everything, and the whole drill, and, you know, the so whatever, so I, I haven't done a technical article for Hemmings Muscle Machines for a few years now, but I do my column, I've done my column for 16, 17 years with them every month. So, but I did a series a while back, a few years, well, probably seven, eight, nine years ago, called The Lost Art. And, I, and you could probably look that up on the internet. And uh, But you know, the funny part about it is that Hemmings takes my name off of it now. They just put written by staff. So, look, that's what they want to do. I could care less, <laughs> but written by staff. There you do a Google search and it comes up the lost art of this and then, then it says written by their staff. So what happened uh, is that I, I recognized that in the industry that there's many, and I'm going to call it an art, and it's truly not an art. It's art in the way of a procedure, not an art as far as drawing, but there was a, your lost art of, of how to measure things the lost and you know i did one the lost art of how to uh, how a distributor works the lost art of how to properly set timing and it may seem very rudimentary to you but in today's world a lot of these rudimentary things have gone away and also if you look back years ago because i'm old enough to look back when there were carburetors and there were points and there were pump line nozzle diesel engines then there wasn't always electronics on it and the thing basically is is that even back then a good majority of the people that either owned a piece of equipment or a car or a truck did not really understand these aspects of it. And one of the most popular series I did was the lost art of setting a choke. And uh, there's people today, younger people, don't even know what a choke is. So what I'm going to do is today's episode is going to be the lost art of cold starting an engine. And because I have an agrarian audience and, and I am going to cover, I'm going to cover you know, gasoline engines, carbureted gasoline engines, small engines, diesel engines, older diesel engines, and late model diesel diesel engines. So the thing basically is, is that I'm going to try to cover the whole gamut. And if I don't run out of time, all right, then I'm going to obviously have the toolbox test and the special delivery letter. But I think it's really not as complicated as it seems. But the whole idea is that like anything in life, you have to start someplace. And with any type of machinery with an engine, you it, it begins by starting it, right? And you're going to go to work. You have to start the engine in a car or a truck. You're going to go out in the field. The engine has to start for you to get into the field to do whatever task you want to do. You're going to auger corn, right? The tractor engine has to start to run the auger, even though it's not moving. So the first thing, I'm just going to get a drink of water here for a second. Hold on, please. Thank you for your kindness of uh, letting me do that. So the first thing I want to answer to you, or I want to explain to you is that when we say in the industry a cold start, 
What that basically means is that the coolant temperature, the liquid temperature of the engine, the coolant, and and the oil and the and the whole mass of the engine is at or near ambient temperature. So a lot of people get confused, and I said, "Well, it's not cold out. I live in Arizona. It's 120 degrees." So yes, but that's the initials. That's the in, and I don't like to say the initial start of the day because you could arguably be in the wintertime, let's say up in, in North Dakota or Bemidji, Minnesota, where they do a lot of cold weather testing and it could be 30 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And you could start that, start an engine and let's say it's six o'clock in the morning and then come back at two o'clock in the afternoon and have to start it again. And that would be considered a cold start because the temp- the temperature of the engine was dramatically below operating temperature. So the definition of a cold start, excuse me, is not the is is the cold is is, is basically put my tongue my tongue in my mouth is the is the either the temp the, the temperature of the engine and its components are near ambient or the temperature of the engine is dramatically below its normal operating temperature and why i'm telling you that for instance let's say that you are out in the desert the desert of california by desert valley and it's 120 degrees and that engine normally runs around 180 degrees so that would still be considered a cold start, but the cold start would not be as aggressive as it would be someplace where it's zero degrees. Now, because even though the differential of the operating temperature from 120 degrees, the ambient temperature to 180 degrees, the running temperature is only 60 degrees versus zero degrees and 180 degrees, which would be 180 degrees difference, is that there's, it's still considered a cold start. And then, and lots of times people say, well, in the morning, well, you know, I ran it, I saw that years ago when I worked in the car dealership because... A Buick dealer, because you'd say, the people would say, oh, it's hard starting in the morning. Well, the guy says, no, no, it's hard starting in the afternoon. Well, that guy works nights, and he's going to work till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so that's his initial start. So without belaboring it, we're going to be discussing the cold start, meaning that the engine is at or near ambient temperature. All right, so that is, that's what we're going to do. Now, we're going to start out with understanding gasoline and its rate of vaporization. And its rate of vaporization, when it's at about 60 degrees Fahrenheit, gasoline only has approximately a 50% vaporization rate. And remember, gasoline needs to turn from a liquid to a vapor form for it to ignite. It's the vapors, it's the vapors that ignite. So the so the vaporization rate of gasoline is going to be paramount in how that engine cold starts, even though if you follow, excuse me, all the proper procedures. And we're going to talk, it's going to be procedural today. It's not going to be mired in physics, but you have to understand that. And you also have to understand that there are different blends of gasoline, and I've discussed this before, but I'm recapping it. And throughout the country, there's boutique gasolines, and there's different vapor pressures and what have you in different chemical compositions. So to carry this out to the ridiculous, one of my favorite racing gasolines is VPQ-16. 
all right so it's 116 octane mon not ron mon all right and it's a very quick burn rate gasoline that's why it's called q16 but anyway so if you were to take any type of race gas and this is important for you guys because you're hot rod farmers you may be running snowmobiles sleds up in wisconsin or, or montana or up in canada in the winter time and you have this hot rod sled and you're putting race gas in well, the 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 rate of vaporization of a, something that's qualified as a race gas in cold weather is going to be extremely poor worse than than what we would call pump gas or street gas epa certified street gas so if you only had a 60 a 50 percent vaporization rate at about 60 degrees fahrenheit on a on a street legal gasoline we'll use that term and and you have something like a q16 it's very possible that at 35 or 40 degrees that engine is not starting because that fuel is not vaporizing and that's one of the things that happens with e85 is that e85 has a very poor rate of vaporization a low much lower rate of vaporization when it is called an e0 e10 so the more ethanol the more alcohol that you put in something the rate of vaporization when it's cold is much worse and so that is something to keep in mind but what we're going to talk about is procedural and we're going to talk about how to start an engine now we're going to start with it easy with it with a small engine like a lawnmower engine or a chainsaw or a weed whacker or what have you now keep in mind that a carburetor because those are carburetor we don't have fuel injected chainsaws yet thank god right but a carburetor works in a pressure differential of what is on the pressure that is in, on the fuel bowl or tank depending upon the application of a small engine like that and the atmospheric pressure and the low pressure region that's created inside the carburetor throat i'm not going to use the term venturi it is a venturi but but uh, if you were to look at it, a automotive type of carburetor you have the throat and then the venturi is the ring that's in there so what happens is that this that the piston moving in simplistic terms creates a suction which is really considered a depression like a person is depressed that's a depression and a depression or a vacuum is anything lower than atmospheric pressure so so this creates this depression and this depression starts fuel flow because you have on a carburetor I'm not talking fuel injected you're talking carburetor or it's talking about your chainsaw your your engine on your seed tender or transfer pump your lawn tractor what have you and this depression is what allows fuel to start to flow through the carburetor circuits so you have atmospheric pressure on the float bowl and you have and you have a lower pressure region created by the movement of the piston and this lower pressure region is going so the fuel is people say it's it's pulled through the carburetor it's really not pulled it's pushed through the carburetor because it has higher pressure on the atmosphere on the on the float ball now a lot of those small engines without getting into all different designs and types have a primer bulb and the purpose of the primer bulb and you know it's a complicated world today and 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 that's why you really have to know excuse me i hit the microphone know your equipment because the purpose of the primer bulb depending upon its design and some primer bulbs have a little pinhole in them all right and some primer bulbs do not so you really have to know your equipment so in essence if the rule of thumb and somebody who's a small engine expert could 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 
correct me, but the rule of thumb is that a primer bulb that doesn't that, that has no little pinhole in it is going to feed fuel right to the carburetor. So it's going to feed fuel to the carburetor because the carburetor is going to, when the engine sits, the carburetor is going to, the fuel is going to evaporate out or drain out or you put the, the weed whacker down, upside down, what have you. And one that has a pinhole in it is going to be used to purge the system from air and sometimes in some applications sends, squirts some fuel over not into the bolt not into the circuits of the carburetor i'll use that because a lot of those carburetors don't really have a true float bowl they use the gas tank as a float bowl and it's going to feed it, would, it feeds some i'll say into the throat of the carburetor so the important thing that you need to know here and you say well some small engines don't have a primer well if they don't have a primer is what they're relying a hundred percent on is creating enough of a depression low pressure region by the movement of the piston to start to pull fuel through the main metering circuit of the carburetor we'll leave it at that because there's 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 fixed jet carburetors there's vacuum jet carburetors but the all so the, the whole thing basically what you need to understand is that you have to get the fuel to the carburetor to the induction system and the fuel has to phase change for it to run so one of the so almost every small engine that has a primer bulb will tell you to go and to push the bulb like my weed whacker i have a uh, cub cadet weed whacker two-stroke it says put you know uh, it says pump the primer bulb 10 times and then put the put the choke to the uh, number uh one position pull it pull the rope five times and then put it to the number two position so the choke is halfway and then keep pulling the rope and then when it starts let it run and prove it to three which is the choke fully open so what we need to understand here is on any carburetor the choke is the the choke does not richen the mixture based upon decreasing airflow what the choke basically does is i is intensifies by blocking the top of the carburetor it intensifies the low pressure region that is created in the through we'll say the throat of the carburetor to to have it pull more fuel so a lot of people think that you choke like choke like choking so closing off the air well yes well in, in in one respect you are closing off the air on a carburetor all right but really the and and what it really boils down to is volumetric efficiency at very low speeds the cylinder is not going to fill with a lot of air anyway so even though you're closing it off with a butterfly or a choke plate whatever you want to call it is the fact of the matter is that it's really not doesn't need that much air so what you're actually doing is you're blocking off and, and magnifying the low pressure excuse me the low pressure region created into the bore the throat of the carburetor for it to pull more fuel and why does it need more fuel in the cold start for two reasons number one the poor rate of vaporization and then the second thing basically is that you have a lot of internal friction in the engine so and the and the piston the cranking velocity of the piston with a rope start is very very low that's why a lot of small engines have a compression release because the compression release allows the piston velocity to be higher to pull fuel in so anyway to get back to the proper starting procedure keep in mind that you should read the instructions 
with what the manufacturer says. But keep in mind also that over time, if it's a primer bulb type of engine, that the primer bulb and the lines of well, the bulb may lose some of its elasticity. So when you're pushing it, instead of getting 10, I'm going to make up a number, 10 shots of one cc of fuel each time, you're getting you you're pressuring it 10 times but you're only getting seven cc's of fuel and also lots of times those lines will deteriorate and they will start to become porous and they will suck air so even though it may not be losing fuel it's not sucking it's sucking air and it becomes aerated fuel so on a small engine like that we're talking the lost art of cold start we're not talking well the ignition is bad everything is good we're talking procedure i'm repeating it again this show is procedural and what the theory is behind the procedure so the, the thing is that so keep that in mind if you have a small engine like that that has a primer bulb that is hard to start you need to be able to determine whether the primer bulb is is giving the full shot of fuel and whether the whether the lines from the fuel tank that are feeding the primer bulb have become porous and are sucking air or, or and having aerated fuel get in, into the system because aerated fuel will cause a problem on a small engine like that also which is usually a hard or hot restart problem is that the vent in the gas tank could be plugged could be starting to be started to be plugged up and not allowing full atmospheric pressure and it actually causes a suction in there so so keep that in mind that's that's your small small engines now you move up to an engine let's say a little bit larger within the same family if it has a comp if and i'm not and look at this is, none of this isn't great how it works isn't is accurate but i don't want you to well my lawnmower doesn't have this and my my john my tractor has this and my chainsaw doesn't have this so the thing basically is is that that what you want to look at if it has an automotive type of carburetor on it so it means it has a float ball versus the fuel tank being the float ball a general rule of thumb but there's no 100 percent because i've seen it the other way around a general rule of thumb is that you will you will not have a primer bulb and then you will have a choke and you're closing that choke and the choke is meant to be closed to create a a a a low pressure region to magnify the low pressure region to pull fuel into that engine and now keep in mind also that the cranking velocity has a lot to do with it and if you look at a lot of snow blowers they'll have a rope start and they'll have an electric start so my my generator my briggs and stratton uh, standby generator backup generator whatever they call it all right has a rope start and has an electric start now an engine that has an electric start will have a lot higher cranking speed of the piston so that low pressure region created by the movement of the piston that depression again right d-e-p-r-e-s-s-i on depression like a person that's depressed that depression will be much greater than with a when pulling it with a rope stop because the piston velocity will be higher so the thing you have to make sure that if it has a primer bulb that it's doing its purpose and shooting some liquid gas linear or filling the carburetor with gas and you have to make sure that the choke is closing because the choke closing is going to be able to magnify that that's going to be on any engine with a choke all right so we have that so now and that's what's called a manual choke and a lot of old farm tractors had a manual choke all right so you have to pull the choke out now we're going to go more to it to a a carburetor with a manual choke more i'm going to use the word automotive style but this could be a farm tractor could be what have you so the thing basically is that 
The purpose of the choke we established is to create a richer mixture, not by choking off air, but by maximizing the pressure differential between atmosphere and the throat of the carburetor. Now, on most manual chokes, you're going to find, because a lot of guys have older farm trucks, older tractors, most manual chokes, I should say most some the later manual chokes when you pull the choke lever out what it will do it will close the butterfly on the top of the carburetor to magnify i'm going to repeat it again to magnify that pressure differential to amplify it is probably a better word and some of them will also evoke a fast idle cam and the purpose of the fast idle cam so the choke plate is going to help create the suction all right to pull to isolate the low pressure region to allow atmospheric pressure to push the fuel into the carburetor to, into the carburetor to get the engine to start because of the lower vaporization rate the poor vaporization rate and then the fast idle so when an engine starts it will fast idle and the reason for that is to help pull the fuel in this higher port velocity and also to overcome the internal friction in the engine so the internal friction because the every the tolerances are tighter the oil in the cold day the oil is thick so there's a lot of internal friction in the engine so the fast idle speed on a hand choke if it does have a fast idle cam connected to it is so the butterfly is going to close when you pull the choke out and also it's going to move the throttle so it has a faster idle speed when it starts now when you start an engine with a choke with a hand choke what's going to happen is in almost in most instances once it starts and the piston velocity goes you know increases dramatically over cranking speed right even with it with a, a weed whacker over cranking speed the thing is that you're going to create more of a low pressure region so you usually need to open up the choke almost immediately maybe not all the way but a lot of these smaller engines today are either on or off there's not really much of an in-between setting but you need to open up the choke because what will happen is that that butterfly restricting the flow through the carburetor will create and the high piston velocity will create a very a very dramatic low pressure region which will overly richen the mixture so it'll be too too rich so you need to open up the choke a little bit all right so now you'll have the fast idle and then you'll open up the choke a little bit if you have an older piece of equipment an older farm tractor what have you some kind of irrigation engine that does not have a fast idle cam then what you're going to have to do is either hold the throttle up a little bit by hand or with your foot or but it's going to be more sensitive to you opening up that choke plate a little bit more because you don't want to flood the engine out so it's going to be a finesse thing and you're going to listen to the engine and you're going to listen to it and you're going to open it up a little bit and get it to run and then eventually as it starts to warm up you'll push the choke all the way and this is a manual hand choke and then the engine will run fine without it all right so unless you have an older 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 piece of equipment or an old farm truck laying around you're not going to run into these if you have a obviously a small engine you're still going to have a hand choke so for instance let's say like my um john Deere lawn tractor 2017 year all right it has a briggs on it i think it's a i don't know 24 horse 23 horsepower i forgot what it is briggs all right it's got an automotive style carburetor it really it doesn't the choke is either on or off 
so when it, the, the throttle, you push the throttle all the way and the choke closes, it gives a little bit of a fast idle. And then as soon as it lights, you got to pull it back even on a cold day because it's too rich and you got to, and, and the engine may run bulky for a few seconds because it, the, the, the fuel is not vaporizing properly. All right. So that is that hand choke. You're manipulating that stuff. But the biggest thing I say, the lost art of starting an engine, cold engine is with an automatic choke. Now, what an, the automatic choke came out in the late 50s, early 60s. It's been the standard bearer on pickup trucks, on on cars, what have you, before they went to fuel injection. You, I don't never saw a farm tractor with an automatic choke. And what an automatic choke basically does, it uses a bimetallic thermostatic spring that is going to start to open up the choke plate when the engine builds heat. And this is all calibrated. But the proper starting procedure, because this is the lost art of starting, is that on any engine with an automatic choke, which is so, which would be an automotive style engine, we're not going to talk about an old Ford 9N tractor here with a hand choke, is that you? The procedure is you get into the you get you get behind the operator's wheel, right, car or truck, and you take the gas pedal and you push it slowly to the floor once. You release it, and you push it slowly to the floor between the maximum of one time more. So you have two pumps right there. What that is accomplishing is a number of different things. First of all, since the choke works against spring tension, against a a stop screw on the fast idle cam, what you're going by opening, you need to open up the throttle without it cranking, before you turn the key, open up the throttle to allow the spring tension to close the choke plate. So when you press that throttle to the floor, what's happening is the choke plate is closing against spring tension, and also it is evoking the fast idle cam. So when you release the throttle, the throttle is not going back all the way because there's a separate cam and most of the time a separate screw for adjustment and you're going to evoke the fast idle cam so after one pump of that throttle what's going to happen is that the choke plate should be closed and the throttle stop screw will be resting on a fast idle cam now the other thing it basically does is let's talk back to our uh, we talk about a small engine with a primer bulb it uses the accelerator pump to give a shot of raw fuel when you press the throttle to the floor so now what you do is you're shooting some raw fuel onto the throttle plates through the accelerator pump and that's going to drip down into the intake manifold and that's going to help at the start so the thing is that the proper procedure is to set that one that's called setting the automatic choke and in the in the colder colder weather you're going to have to do it probably twice you shouldn't have to do it more than that and so what are you doing with the second pump of it because of the spring if the spring closed the choke on the first release all right then all you're doing is giving it another shot of the accelerator pump that's all you're doing because the choke is already closed now what happens is that so now you crank the engine and the engine fires in most now it's going to be up on the fast idle the fast idle speed with an automatic choke accomplishes a couple of different things as i started to say number one what it basically does is it allows the engine to overcome internal friction from being cold by opening the throttle more it allows a higher port velocity through the carburetor 
to allow more air and fuel flow to support that higher engine speed. And it also does something that's called blowing off the choke plate. Now, most automatic, let's put it this way, all automatic chokes from the past 50 years has what they call a choke pull off, or sometimes it's called a choke break. And that's a little vacuum canister. So what happens, and it's connected to the choke plate. So what's going the butterfly so what's going to happen is when you close the throttle you set the choke you gave it accelerator pump stroke you crank the engine and it starts so now it's on fast idle all right now it's on fast idle and the velocity through the intake through the through through the throat of the carburetor is designed to blow the choke plate open a little bit to negate to lessen that pressure differential so it doesn't run as rich and then what'll happen is it works in conjunction with what they call as vacuum brake or choke brake or another term for is a choke pull off so now this pull off will open up the choke a little bit more but you have to remember it's still opening it up against spring tension so it's not going to open up all the way but it's going to open it up enough to take out that free play or that backlash in the linkage of the choke plate and the spring so now it's going to be opened up against spring tension so now there's going to be a slight force so the velocity of the fast idle speed the airflow is going to what they call blow the choke open and then what it's going to do next is it's going to have the choke pull off open it up a slight bit more and then at that particular point you are the choke spring is going to start to warm up and as the choke spring warms up it's going to loosen up and the butterfly is going to open up so when you start the engine now what a lot of people used to do is they used to try to kick the fast idle off well you could conceivably race the engine so hard vroom, that you actually blow the choke open and pull down the fast idle cam, but the engine is not ready to accept it. When the engine is ready to accept the purpose of you, op- you don't blow the choke off with the, by racing it. What you basically do is you just open up the throttle slightly so that the screw that's on, the, if it's on the, that's working against the fast idle cam is the best way for me to say that's working against the fast idle cam moves far enough away from that step on the cam because it's like a staircase that if the choke spring has relieved some tension that it falls down to the next one you don't force it so you just step on the gear slightly all right and slightly and if you step on it slightly and it drops down 50 rpm or 100 rpm that means that it was ready to accept it if you go like that i used to see people do you're trying to blow the choke off the engine is not ready to accept it you're forcing the choke spring against and a butterfly against with the velocity of the air coming through the engine to push the fast auto cam down so you just need to step on the gas slightly and all you're accomplishing is moving that that fast idle speed screw away far enough away from the step of the cam that if it's ready to drop it drops down to the next level now the most important thing and the biggest mistake that people make is that the art of the cold start is that they do not they they are modulating the throttle while they're cranking the engine you don't want to modulate the throttle while you're cranking the engine because what's going to happen is you're going to by when you open that throttle plate so you're cranking the engine they're wrapping it to the floor and same thing is with a hand choke you're going back and forth like this is that what you're basically doing when you open the throttle plate not the choke plate the throttle plate you are negating the vacuum signal 
and you are minimizing the strength of the vacuum signal in the carburetor. So when you actually put it, to, if you're cranking, when you're putting in, you're starting to open that throttle plate, is that you're, you're going to pull less fuel because now you're opening up. It's like having a, a hose with a hole in it. So it needs to work on a, on a, on a airflow differential. Now also, on every automatic choke, all right, the thing is that when you push the throttle to the floor and the choke is closed, it has what they call an unloader. That's assuming that you flooded the engine and you want to open up the choke. So when you are cranking and you're pushing it to the floor, not only are you killing the vacuum signal, the differential, the depression by having the throttle plates open so that the pistons can't create any differential because now it's open to the whole world of atmosphere, you're actually opening the choke butterfly because this unloader opens it up so that is so the proper procedure with an automatic choke is you step on it once to the floor what that basically does is close the choke plate sets the fast idle cam and gives it accelerator pump shot you crank the engine and try to start it if it doesn't start give it another half a shot or one shot depending upon that if it doesn't want to start then and the choke is closed then that carburetor is bowl is draining out for some reason it's evaporating it's draining it's leaking and even though you gave it two shots of the accelerator pump there's no fuel in there the pump cavity is empty because the bowl leaked out you should have the coldest weather and you should give it one or two shots if you have everything right that carburetor is going to light off and it's, that engine is going to vroom and start i don't care you don't need fuel injection a carburetor set properly is going to start at 40 below zero okay as long as you have enough cranking speed and enough juice in the battery so now if you the proper the you know the law start of the cold start now on an automatic choke if the engine starts to load up we had a guy last week i think i wrote a, did a letter in the, in the show over here and he says it's loading up well i don't know if it's really loading up but loading up means that it's starting to run rich the rpm starts to drop and the rpm starts to drop and it may start to blow chug black smoke historically if the engine does not run cleanly with an automatic choke during from its start all the way up till it's fully warmed up is the choke breaks slash choke pull off is the diaphragm is either defective meaning it's either tore it's all swollen up or it's misadjusted and you're not getting enough enough air into the throat of that carburetor and it's not really the air you're using that as a siphon break by opening a choke a siphon brake to minimize the amount of fuel you to minimize the pressure differential so it doesn't pull enough fuel so in essence before we move on is that you you step on the gas sets the choke accelerator pump the engine starts what's going to happen it's going to be on fast idle the fast idle velocity is going to blow the choke open a little bit more the choke brake is going to pull it up more and pull it open more it's going to run cleanly all right it's going to be you move the throttle a little bit just just step on the throttle lightly as long as the, the the screw the stop screw moves away from the cam then it'll drop down in rpm and eventually drop down in rpm that's all you're not pumping the throttle while you're cranking it you're not touching the throttle what have you all right next thing we go to fuel injection fuel injection very very simple it uses you don't need to do anything what you need to do is turn the key on and I don't care what kind of fuel-injected engines is, whether it's an ATV, whether it's a car, truck, whether it's a 2022 or, two, or, or 1982 with fuel injection. 
You turn the key on, and fuel injection has what they call a two-second prime. So you hear bzzz, click, all right? What that's doing is that the fuel pump is turning on and priming the fuel rail, right? Because the fuel rail bleeds down as it sits, priming the fuel rail, and then you hear bzzz, click, and then you wait, and then you go into crank. You don't touch the throttle on fuel injection. You keep your foot, keep your legs crossed. Don't go near the throttle. Excuse me, don't go near the throttle because you're going to mess everything up. It, it's a mathematical equation based upon the coolant temperature and the air temperature, and it's going to have a in the lookup table or an algorithm I'll use, and it's going to look at that, and it's going to be based upon that. It's going to say, okay, based upon 10 degrees below zero coolant temperature and, and air temperature is saying we need to hold the injector open for this long, and it's going to do that, and it's going to pulse the injector the, and if the cold start tables are correct and everything is correct on then it's going to light off well you're going to mess it up is by you touching the throttle fuel injection you are not going to touch the throttle so and whether it's 10 below zero or whether it's 100 degrees on your cold start remember that you're that you're Temp, that the, the engine is near ambient temperature is you're going to do the same procedure turn the key on prime the fuel hip click if you don't hear it then that's just wait two seconds go one two and then go into crank you don't need to cycle the key back off and this that's and that's going to prime the free fuel rail and if everything is correct meaning that it's got the proper fuel pressure the fuel filter isn't plugged all right and the calibration tables are correct which they will be all right they <laughs> don't worry they'll be correct all right then the thing is that the engine will light right off that will also evoke some level of fast idle because the dynamics of trying to overcome the internal resistance in the engine with the temperature being cold and the and the and the uh, restriction of the clearances and the cold the thickness of the oil needs to be overcome but it doesn't have to worry about the fuel flow through a carburetor circuit so on a fuel injected engine historically the cold start fast idle is not going to be as high as it would be back with a carburetor engine from 20 25 years ago but it is going to flare up and it is going to do that and then we use the word decay out so fuel injection very simple turn the key bzz, click go into crank don't touch anything whatsoever okay next thing i want to talk about quickly can't believe how quickly this hour goes but i want to get into the other stuff in the show is that the um uh, next thing i want to talk about is um is pump line nozzle diesels pump line nozzle diesels then again like i was saying earlier on with the small engines you have to know your engine some injection pumps have an enrichment circuit like a carburetor all right to enrich the mixture when it's cold because now a diesel is a little bit different because what you're doing is you're going to be spraying the fuel into a pre-chamber or on a direct injection right into the right into the combustion chamber or a pre-chamber so it's a little bit different but what's going to happen is that the diesel is going to need that that air temperature in the cylinder to be you know 350 degrees or higher for that fuel to, to auto ignite so most diesel will either have a glow plug or an air intake heater or a combination of both now the older stuff would start on ether and the reason why they would start on ether is because it was very hard on the engine because ether had a very very 
very l low temperature rate of vaporization we don't have to worry about that so but on your diesels obviously what you're going to do is you're going to you're going to invite invite and evoke your preheater whether the preheater is glow plugs or preheater is an intake air heater or both what you're going to do is you're going to evoke that and the the glow start with the glow plug quickly and the thing is that the glow plug is not heating the chamber it doesn't have enough enough mass to heat the chamber what it's actually doing is making a hot spot in the cylinder for that fuel to ignite so when you so if you have a glow plug on a timer like my new holland track doesn't have a timer i count turn it on and i go into crank and then when the piston comes up and it shoots the fuel when as the fuel is shot in mechanically into the cylinder it pushes it near the glow plug and the glow plug ignites it from its heating because the glow plug will be 11 1200 degrees so the glow so on a diesel the cold start basically is you have to evoke those glow plugs or that in or that cold starting system and then it's going to be paramount it's going to be much more sensitive to the cranking rpm than the gasoline engine because you need to be able to also heat that air up in the cylinder by the velocity of the piston now lots of times what will happen is that people will will own a glow plug will the glow plugs will start to fail and the engine may only be starting on one or two glow plugs and a weakened glow plug at that so we'll have to come around to that event so the thing to keep in mind is that to properly cold start an older pump line nozzle diesel is 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 not difficult all right is not difficult it's carbureted automatic choke a lot more procedure you want to heat your glow plugs or your intake air heater and you want to go into crank and you don't want to touch the throttle this is no touch starting and if everything is right it should start if it's very hard starting then it's a probably a very good indication when that's going to go with fuel fuel gel whatever the thing basically is a very good indication that the glow plugs are weak or some of them are burned out and it's only starting on one or two cylinders same thing with an intake air heater if part of the intake air heater starts to burn out and fail then you're not putting enough temperature differential and the only way that engine is starting is by you cranking it cranking it and getting enough temperature through the compression of the air to allow it to start so that's very 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 simple and then a modern diesel a a, um, a common rail is going to have a fuel prime just like a fuel injected gasoline engine so you're going to want to turn the key on you're going to let it you're going to click it's going to be about a two second prime you're going to go into crank it's going to be no touch starting also you don't want to evoke any clear flood modes no touch starting and the engine is going to start very rapidly and what's going to happen on a modern diesel lots of times whereas an old pump line nozzle engine did not do that they either keep the intake air heater or the glow plugs evoked after the engine starts so it runs cleanly on a diesel what and a gasoline engine also but it's much more forgiving because it's igniting through spark is then and i've discussed this before there needs to be what is called a reaction zone started and the reaction zone in the cylinder is where the where the, the heat goes from 
the burn to the unburned mixture to help the flame propagate and that's why a lot of older diesels will run very raggy the first couple of seconds even though you started them properly because there was no reaction zone so that the fuel started to ignite by the glow plug but then it went start to propagate across the bore and it was too cold and it shut off so the reaction zone is where the heat from the combustion as the flame starts to travel across the bore it takes the the from the burned area the heat goes into the unburned area and then once the temperature stabilizes more or less over an ignition point of about 350 400 degrees even though the glow plug and the intake air heater is shut off the engine will smooth out and run smoothly and the more heat it's going to have inside the bore the easier it's going to ignite and it's going to run smooth so keep that in mind on carburetor on uh, recap quickly on small engines you have to use the primer bulb if so the choke has to be closed on automatic choke you're setting the automatic choke by stepping on the throttle and giving accelerator pump shot okay on a hand choke you're just closing off the, the butterfly to increase the pressure differential and sometimes have a fast idle speed all right on a on a pump line nozzle diesel mechanical diesel you may have an enrichment circuit you have to know your injection pump even without enrichment circuit it'll start it won't start as easily but it's going to be dependent upon the cranking speed the compression of the engine and the efficacy of those glow plugs with an intake air heater and on a newer common rail diesel you're going to turn the key on click get your two second prime prime the fuel rail as you would on a gasoline engine go don't touch the throttle go into crank and it's going to light off and it's going to run very smoothly because it's going to keep the glow plug and or that intake air heater on until that reaction zone starts and that's going to be dependent upon the ambient temperature so on a 90 degree cold start then the then it's not the reaction zone in the cylinder is going to be be created sooner than it's going to be on a 30 degree below zero morning or cold start i should say not morning all right so if you have any questions with that please feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com so now what we're going to do is we're a little bit more than now we're going to go into the tex rubinowitz section of the show right the hot rod man he's going to tell you to put your thinking cap on he doesn't tell you that he just says he's a hot rod man for the toolbox test come on in tex from ripsaw records all right text thank you so much here's our toolbox test all right it is a cold winter day and you're working in a shop converting your planter over to electric drive meters you followed all the instructions and hooked the wiring harness up as stated when you test run the system you notice that a few of the meters seem to be turning slower than all of the others even though they are all set for the same population that seed population there is no rush about fixing this so you figure the next time you're in town you will bring it up at the coffee shop you check the voltage to each electric motor and it is fine each farmer has a different thought who is correct 
Farmer A tells you that the wires may be too long and the voltmeter is not telling the truth. Farmer B says the electric motors must be made in China and are bad, which is probably... (laughs) Farmer C says to look at the schematic and do a voltage drop test on the ground circuit of the motors that are running slowly. And Farmer D says that the tractor engine was running too slowly and the hydraulic flow to the planter's alternator was not enough. So you give that some thought. And what I'm basically going to do is then get ready and I'm going to uh, give you a quick synopsis here of John's letter to me. First of all, he says, I have a 2012 Ford F-350. And this is John from Holyoke, Colorado. F-350 with the 6.7 liter diesel. I bought it to haul heavy trailers all the time out here and I'm trying to take good care of it. I've heard about Hotshot Secret Stiction Eliminator, and I am wondering if that is a good thing to run through my engine oil. I have 191,000 miles on it, and all with stock emissions. The oil is pretty black, but I know that's pretty normal for a diesel. They also have they also have fr3 friction reducer which sounds worthwhile i do run their fuel additives all the time especially to keep my cp4 lubricated and that's john and i'm not going to try to kill your name again from holy oak uh, colorado well first of all i want to thank you i want to thank you for writing in and also for commending you for wanting to take good care of the truck now you know you basically stiction does not occur with the type of injector that you have stiction only occurs in a huey's type of injector which is h-e-u-i huey which is hydraulic electronic unit injector which also has the injector open with the aid of very high pressure engine oil and then the oil pressure gums up and cokes and the injector sticks so on a huey injector it is a fuel side and an engine oil side for the operating you do not have a huey injector so your injector is not going to be based and that is not going to fall prey to anything in the engine oil so i strongly recommend that you do not put anything like that in the engine oil now a number of years ago this whole thing with stiction came out and 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 i believe that the hot shot company or somebody or so kind of brought this to market with this product now what your letter did prompt me is go to hot shots website now originally years ago with the hot shot product or for stiction eliminator let's call it that a stiction eliminator it was only for huey injectors now when i go to their website it says that you could use this that you could use this product in a gasoline engine a non-huey diesel or what have you so i don't know whether they changed the formula but i am not a big so i'm going to tell you and i and i responded directly to john i told him i would not put that in the oil no disrespect to the hotshot company i am not a big proponent of adding things in the oil to try to clean the engine up now my contention is that if you took care of the engine and changed the oil you're not going to have that sludge and stuff in there that you need to clean up and i've seen especially with these modern engines is that not maybe not this particular application but you have this variable cam timing all these things and sometimes you loosen up a piece of something and it and it and it blocks a hole or orifice or a valve tap or what have you so my statement may seem contradictory because obviously it's not good to have sludge and everything in the oil and then also and here i'm telling you well 
don't put this product in to clean to clean that sludge out because you may cause an issue well it's like anything to me it's like a nail in a tire if i have a nail in my tire and i'm 500 miles from home and the tire is not leaking and i grab a pair of pliers and i start to pull the nail out a little bit right or a screw and i I put it back in and stops leaking then i'm going to leave that nail in that tire not for perpetuality until i get home so my contention basically is is that if you took care of the engine and took care of it and changed the oil and used a good quality oil you're not going to have all this sludge in there so there's no reason for you to put a product like that in there but the fact of the matter is maybe you bought this vehicle used or what have you and then that you may have this this sludge and debris built up in the oil in the oil of an engine that's non-huey because we're not talking about stiction stiction's only not for the valve spring stiction is for the injector that that you would want to get rid of it then what i would say is that i would much rather have you change the oil any major brand of oil today a high quality oil is going to have a level of detergent in it and i'd rather have you try to remove some of that with a level of detergent in the oil instead of trying to douse it with a lot of a lot of uh detergent or a loosener in the engine now i'm not going to say never to use this but with 191,000 miles on a 2012 truck it sounds like you took care of it is that i would definitely not put anything that in the engine oil that it's supposed to that's supposed to clean stuff up because i'm going to assume that you don't even have anything to really clean it if you do it's marginal and i think in that particular instance that it is a negative and has more potential problems potential problems then it is good but this is not meant to be think because you know you could have a product that you're going to drip in through the combustion chamber to get valve deposits off i mean dripping through the air intake that's a whole different story than the engine oil so i would definitely not put that in the engine oil and then you also corresponded with me which we're, we're going to discuss in a later show about you having a regen issue occasionally with this truck with it where it goes into d-rate and i'm going to a, a couple of weeks from now and i have been communicating with john and that but i think it's a real good question it's a real good question for a uh special delivery letter because it's going to be very educational to the rest of the audience but i would not do that and as far as if you a fuel additive is concerned you want a fuel additive that's going to add lubricity it's going to raise the cetane it's going to get rid of moisture it's going to have an injector cleaner in it and if the fuel additive that you're using has multiple modes of action five six seven modes of action does all that that's fine keep it added just keep advertising that fuel and you are good to go and you don't have to worry about it all right so hope and if you have any questions john or anybody else on that if you didn't you know with my response just feel free to contact me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com all right so now what's basically happening is we got these slow running seed meters that when we just converted our planter over to electric meters and we have a couple of them running slowly right so farmer c is correct farmer c knows that the most likely reason knows the most likely reason a dc circuit which is direct current which that is not ac like a house like a building a dc circuit uses voltage and ground if a ground circuit is weak meaning it has high resistance then all of the voltage will not get to whatever the load is the load in this particular case is running the seed meter all right and running the electric motors 
and we'll have it respond slowly. So just like on a light bulb, you'll have a dim bulb with a bad ground. So a voltage drop test is the only accurate way to check a ground circuit. So it's essential. And when you're doing an upgrade like this, planters, uh, uh, you know, seed meters on a planter, a winch on something, anything like that, you know, always confirm that ground with a voltage drop test. It's very easy to do. You go from the ground circuit to a good ground, chassis ground. You may have to make an extension wire to the battery ground, and you have to evoke that circuit, and you read the amount of electrons, which is the traffic jam of the electrons that can't get through the ground, and you're going to have to, it should be less than two-tenths of a volt, point two or less it should be 0.02 or whatever so if it's more than two tenths of a volt then you are reading the traffic jam of electrons there and that is a high impedance ground and it's going to hinder the way that circuit operates so listen i want to thank you so much and we get start to get into the cold weather thank you so much for listening but i and but i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and there's no reason for any of your engines carburetor gasoline fuel injected diesel common rail to not cold start perfectly you should turn the key and that thing should light off have a blessed day bye bye